Welcome to the Joy Joya podcast, where jewelry is joy and everyone is encouraged to add more polish and sparkle to the world with topics ranging from marketing tips to business development, best practices and beyond. This is the go-to podcast for ambitious jewelry industry dreamers like you. Hi, I'm your host, Larissa Worstiak. Through this podcast, I aim to empower and inspire jewelry entrepreneurs and professionals so they can thrive while adding more beauty to the world. I'm passionate about digital marketing for jewelry brands, and I'm excited to share my passion with you. As we all know, jewelry is joy, so I'll gladly seize any opportunity to talk about it. This is episode 173. And today I'm going to be sharing my interview with Dana Bromfman, a New York City-based modern fine jewelry designer who's best known for her quietly bold aesthetic. Dana works with a small team of master jewelers in New York to create each piece from reclaimed and fairmine gold, as well as carefully chosen, responsibly sourced diamonds and gemstones. She's also been a fairmine licensee since 2016. Dana's considered a leader in responsible sourcing in the industry, and she regularly contributes to industry conversations on the topic. In this episode, we chat all about responsible material sourcing and jewelry making. It's actually one of the most requested topics I get from listeners and viewers. Dana's a true gem in the industry, and I'm really excited to share this conversation with you. But before we get to the solid gold of this episode, I'd like to take a moment to remind you that this podcast has both an audio and video component. So you can either listen on your favorite podcast platform or watch watch on YouTube by searching Joy Joya. I love creating this content as my act of service to you, my awesome listeners, and you can support the podcast for free by taking the time not only to subscribe, but also to leave a rating or review on iTunes, which helps other jewelry dreamers find it too. In this segment of the podcast, I give out my Sparkle Award for the week. During this segment, I highlight a jewelry brand that's impressing me with their marketing. The Sparkle Award is also interactive, so you can visit sparkleaward.com to nominate a jewelry brand that's inspiring you these days. I might feature your submission on a future podcast episode. So this week's Sparkle Award winner is the Brooklyn-based jewelry retailer Catbird. They recently announced this really interesting collaboration that caught my eye called Catbird and Vito's Gems. I was so intrigued by this, I saw it in an email marketing campaign. I had to go to their website and learn more. So I'll basically just read you the little blurb about it from their website because it explains it best. So this collection, this collaborative collection, is an ode to the luminous life of a quintessential New Yorker. Vito Giallo, 91-year-old artist, illustrator, and antique stealer, was Andy Warhol's first apprentice and the first to give Warhol a show in 1954. Vito's antique shop across from the Carlisle at 966 Madison Avenue was a destination for Mark Rothko, Andre Leon Talley, Greta Garbo, Robert Maplethorpe, Jackie Kennedy, and Andy Warhol, who visited every day. 
This is the really interesting part of the story. So in 1969, Vito came into possession of a trunk full of gems. And other than selling a few to Andy, he has saved them since then. 53 years later, we are so proud to present Catbird Catbird and Vito's Gems, a collection of limited edition and one-of-a-kind jewels inspired by Vito's New York, Knights at the Ballet, Joseph Cornell boxes, antiquities, Venetian mirrors, his erstwhile shop on Madison Ave, an end-of-day martini at Bemelman's Bar, museum vitrines, and the arc that connects the past to the present. Wow, is there a better story than that? I think this is such an amazing example of storytelling connected to jewelry and really getting customers excited and intrigued by the product. So this is this is a quote from Vito himself. I am pleased to know that my gems will continue to be treasured and valued and live on. Objects have personalities and when I first saw them littered in the apartment, they felt like survivors to me. So I definitely encourage you to check out this new collaboration between Catbird and Vito. As I mentioned, I think it's a really cool example of storytelling, of assigning kind of like a lore to jewelry, and I was really inspired and intrigued by it. As I mentioned, you can visit sparkleaward.com to nominate a jewelry brand that's inspiring you these days, and I might feature your submission on a future podcast episode. Let's discuss some recent news related to jewelry or marketing. Each week, I share my thoughts about three relevant articles, and you can get those links by visiting joyjoya.com slash sign up. Once you're on the VIP list, you'll receive our weekly digest filled with new episode announcements. The first article is from Morning Brew, and it's all about how Meta, the Facebook company, Facebook's parent company, is opening its first IRL, real life brick and mortar store. So Meta announced their plans to open the Meta store, which is their first brick and mortar retail space. And it's gonna be located in the Burlingame, California campus of Meta. It shows that not everything can be Web3 and in the metaverse. Even though Meta is all about augmented reality, virtual reality, they are still, opening a brick and mortar store because they know that customers still really enjoy the experience of trying products in person. Mark Zuckerberg even says in this article, quote, the best way to understand virtual reality is to experience it. Hmm. A little bit strange, a little bit interesting. This store is set to open right when this podcast episode comes out on May 9th and it will stock products like Meta's Quest 2 VR headset, its portal video calling device, and Ray-Ban Stories sunglasses. So again, this you may think this has nothing to do with the jewelry industry, but I'm just sharing this as an example that consumer, consumers still really do prefer that in-person brick and mortar experience, especially when it's related to like a high tech product. The next article also comes from Morning Brew, and it is called the majority of shoppers want brand values to align with their own, according to a survey. So a new thousand person Harris poll survey commissioned by Google Cloud reveals that 82% of consumers say they do want to buy from brands with values that align with their own. 
Among those top values, definitely sustainability and transparency. Those are the things that consumers are searching for. 52% of respondents said they want to support sustainable brands. 66% seek out eco-friendly businesses. And 55% say they would pay more to shop from these types of brands. Despite this, however, the survey found that 72% of respondents believe that companies and brands are overstating their sustainability efforts. And there's a reason why I chose this article to come at the beginning of this interview with Dana, because it's something we definitely chat about in this episode. The only thing that can really overcome brand value for consumers is brand availability. So an overwhelming 98% of shoppers said they'd either buy from a different brand or search another channel if the one they preferred wasn't in stock. To overcome these hurdles, Juzy Buonfantino, VP of Consumer Packaged Goods at Google Cloud, suggests, quote, personalizing outreach to consumers through data collection, clearly and transparently communicating values and sustainability goals, and rewarding shoppers for their loyalty, end quote, are all ways to really appeal to what consumers want today. And this last article about UPS is perhaps a sign of the state of e-commerce. So Retail Dive reported that UPS encounters unexpected drop in parcel volume as e-commerce growth slows. So now that COVID is subsiding, people are returning to their in-person activities and work life, UPS is seeing a decline in packages, showing perhaps that e-commerce growth is slowing. And it's something that I've definitely seen with my clients this year in the first quarter. Clients who either have an e-commerce channel supplemental to their brick and mortar channel um, or are primarily e-commerce, they saw major growth in 2021, but now they're either kind of leveling out or even seeing a slight decline from first quarter 2021 numbers. So that's definitely in line with what UPS is seeing. Factors such as no more stimulus checks, inflation, and higher energy prices are hitting consumers' pockets, unfortunately. They're spending less on goods and more on things like experiences and services including travel and leisure. Is this something that you've also been noticing in your e-commerce channel? As I mentioned, if you wanna get the links to the articles I share in this segment of the podcast, you can become a JoyJoya VIP by visiting joyjoya.com slash sign up. Without further delay, let's get to my interview with Dana. Hi Dana, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. I'm really excited to have you as a guest. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So tell our listeners a little bit about your journey in the jewelry industry. How did you first enter it and how did that evolve over time? Yeah. Um, I got into jewelry kind of randomly. It was not something that I knew anyone who did jewelry, anything related to jewelry growing up um, or anything creative really or artistic for that matter. Um, so I didn't really know about it until I was in, I was in college, um, and I studied Spanish actually, and I had the opportunity to travel around a lot with that. And I always found myself so fascinated by the local jewelry that I saw everywhere. Um, I had seen 
traditional fine jewelry growing up and I really didn't like it. I didn't get my ears pierced till I was 17. And that was because I kind of wanted to wear like fashion type, type jewelry, but I just never really liked why people were into like a pearl necklace or like diamond studs or something that I just thought was so basic and just uninteresting. And I was like, it's just a sparkly thing. Like what's the point of that? <laughs> um, I just, I think what I really liked was like the uniqueness and the design of these pieces that I saw when I was traveling and also the story behind it and the people who had made it. And the fact that it was saying something that was original. Um, I also loved Native American jewelry growing up. My, um, my grandmother would take me to this like Native American uh, jewelry store uh, in the Eastern Sierra when I would go visit her in the summers and we'd spend summers in the mountains in the Eastern Sierra in California. Um, and, you know, I love turquoise. I love, um, I just loved how interesting it was and how also it was kind of a cultural story. Um, and so her, her jewelry was kind of what I was into, but I didn't know that there was kind of anything in between those two, the fine, basic, boring, fine jewelry and the, you know, kind of more interesting, like cultural jewelry. Um, so when I was traveling, I kind of saw like independent artists, different places. And I also got the chance to travel to Santa Fe, New Mexico, um, with friends in college. And when I was there, I discovered people who I could sort of see myself in even though they were totally different from me I was just like wow this is something that I want to do and it seems like a pipe dream um I didn't go into it right away uh because it just seemed like not a realistic path um uh and just seemed kind of like an idealistic oh yeah that would be fun but I can't actually do that um so I still really wanted to do it after a few years I actually started my career in the nonprofit world and while that was great, I just felt like there was a part of me that was not creatively fulfilled. Um, and I wanted to give back, but I didn't really feel like I was able to fully do that in my job um, in the way where I could sort of not just be at the discretion of whatever my job was or what the organization had funding for, just appealing to the donors and all of that. Um, so I found the Riviera Academy of Jewelry Arts in San Francisco, which is sadly not happening anymore, but I'm really glad that I got in when I did. And so I, um, after a few years of still wanting to study jewelry, I went back and I learned how to make jewelry um, in that course. And I was the only person in my class that had never taken a, a that had never made a piece of jewelry before. Everybody was kind of going there to kind of brush up their skills. Um, and I learned a lot really fast. Um, and classes eventually took me to New York and I thought I was just gonna come here temporarily and then move back to the Bay Area. Um, but one opportunity kind of led to another. Um, my jeweler now that I work super closely with is, um, he was actually my teacher of the classes that I took when I moved to New York. So it really just kind of evolved naturally. And I surprised myself at how much I was inspired here and realized that I could make this career happen for myself here. Wow. It's so surprising to me because like knowing your brand and looking at your brand, it's amazing to think that it evolved in that way that you didn't grow up with that background in the industry. Like a lot of people do with their family or something like that. So that really like blows my mind. 
Thank you. Well, what I did learn was how to be a good student and how to work hard. That was two things that I did learn growing up was really how to work hard and how to learn. And, um, and yeah, so I guess I've really had, I really had that drive that that kind of work ethic was sort of instilled in me from a young age. So I was able to apply that to something that I was really passionate about. And when you take, you know, work ethic and passion, I mean, passion is really the thing that keeps you going because you can get burnt out just by your values of, you know, being a hard worker and all of that. But passion is really the thing that keeps you going. So. Absolutely. So at what point was the brand actually conceived? Um, I founded the brand in 2014 and actually I started the brand with just metal. Um, I just had pieces in sterling silver and 18 karat gold and um, no stones. Part of it was because I didn't have any contacts in stones. I didn't know anything about stones and I didn't know how to do that like responsibly sourced. Um, but I was like, oh, I can work with recycled metal. So I just started doing that. Um, eventually I evolved the line into adding, you know, kept meeting people. Eventually I added diamonds to the line and then added colored stones to the line. So 2016 was kind of when I did my first trade show. And I kind of feel like that was more of an official launch. Um, I had sort of been starting planning the line and, when I first launched my website in 2014, I had a capsule collection of maybe like 12 pieces. Um, and so 2016 and then 2017 was when I started working with colored gemstones. Um, and then it's really kind of just evolved and grown since then. Um, but yeah, I learned that I needed to you know, if I wanted to make things the way I wanted to make them, which was in, in a studio in New York, you know, with this jeweler who was making things to the highest craftsmanship, which it was really important to me for things to last and be high quality. Um, and also to be able to have it locally done, to be able to keep an eye on everything that was done, um, to be able to, you know, take ownership of like what was, what the materials were and how it was being made that was really important to me. And I knew that I wasn't going to be able to do it in that way and try to compete on price. So I knew that I kind of needed to go into the higher end. And I learned more about just from being in the field, I learned more about perceived value. Um, and I started learning about colored gemstones and I just got really into them. And um, so I really wanted to incorporate that. And it's funny because I feel like when I first moved to New York, I was really into the, you know, all black and just not a lot of color but the more I the more I was here I kind of felt into my artistic creative colorful spirit I guess and I love I still you know wear black sometimes but I love color I love prints I love um, patterns and gemstones and what I really love about those is that they kind of tell a story about the earth are kind of like show the birthmark and they're that unique story that is kind of you know not only it's like the culture of the that's interesting how to how to describe it because I didn't really make the connection before it's kind of where I liked the 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 stones that the jewelry design of when I was traveling was culturally relevant was culturally relevant I I like that there's kind of the mark of um the place 
where it came or the earth where the where the stone came totally that makes a lot of sense yeah I'm not a gemologist so I don't necessarily have the skills to look at a gem and be like this emerald is from this place although I I know just by experience and looking at things but I just love the the mark of the earth and the interest the interesting details um in stone so I embrace the perfection of imperfection sometimes yeah I love that so tell me today, what makes your brand unique in the marketplace? Like how would a consumer or a retailer identify you like out in the wild? <laughs> yeah, I think the most obviously identifiable is um, my Oculus design, which is uh, kind of a circular pattern of like op- different um, open spaces, different sized open spaces. Uh, people, some people say it kind of looks like Swiss cheese. <laughs> Um, so I think that that is kind of, um, you know, the most identifiable aspect in Oculus is an architectural term for a circular opening in a space. So that's why I call it that because I'm really inspired by architecture. Um, so it's about letting the light shine through. It's about creating different layers. Um, it's also the shapes, um, we use a lot of convex and concave shapes combined with that our textures. We use some matte finishes and this kind of signature textured finish. Um, And I would say it's also the stones. Um, The stones I use tend to be, uh, you know, have a unique quality to them. I use a lot of cabochons. I use a lot of, um, a lot of ovals and rounds and pear and marquee shapes, but it's not even necessarily those shapes. It's, it's all of these details combined that kind of combine it into aesthetic, which I call quietly bold. Um, The pieces are, there's a lot of pieces that, you know, everything is made to be simple and it's casual enough to wear for every day, but it has a little element of surprise. It has a little sparkle to it. There might be something, sometimes you'll see a piece and you'll see a different, it'll look a little bit different from the top than the side. We add in some details that you might not notice looking at it in one way. So, um, so all of those details combined, the quietly bold, there's some pieces that are on the quiet side and some pieces that are more on the bold side. But what that really means is that it's not ostentatious. It's about design. It's not about, um, it's not about bling or status, um, but it's still really high quality you have to have a little bit of boldness to wear it but you don't have to be loud about your boldness it's that quiet confidence it's that true confidence which is I know that this piece is amazing and I feel great when I'm wearing it but I don't need you to I don't need you to validate that for me I don't need you to call it out I just feel great when I put this on and um I'm doing it for me as more than I'm doing it for you. Yeah, that's really powerful. Thanks. So you mentioned very briefly that you work with the small team of master jewelers in New York and you create each one of your pieces. We didn't talk about this yet, but from the reclaimed and fair mined gold, as well as the carefully chosen and responsibly sourced diamonds and gemstones. Have you always worked with the responsibly sourced materials? Uh, yes, it took me a lot of time to learn about that. Um, as I said, when I first started, I was using the recycled um, metals. And what I didn't know, and what I think a lot of people don't 
might know, but gold has been being recycled forever because it's valuable, not really because of like environmental reasons. So um, I didn't really know that from the beginning. I was just kind of, um, I didn't really know that, you know, the majority of what you'll find on the market is recycled gold. Um, but there's a lot of different levels between what that means. So recycled gold, there's not really a way to know like where it originally came from. Um, and recycled gold, sometimes it can just be, has it gone through a process where it's changed form? So sometimes they'll be able to say like chain is recycled, but because it didn't come out of the ground as chain. So, and then there's basically always a lot of contamination um, that can go into that. So it kind of just goes into this thing of like nothing is kind of perfect. Um, I became a Fairmind licensee in 2016 and I didn't start working with Fairmind Gold right away um, because I wasn't, I didn't really figure out how to incorporate it. There is a premium on Fairmine Gold. And what that means is that it, it is newly mined gold, but it is made to the highest standard of um, ethics and sustainability in the mining industry. So I kind of consider that, um, and they're paid a premium for adhering to those standards. And so that's kind of an incentive because these miners otherwise would just you know, they'd be mining anyway because they need to feed their families and it's a source of livelihood for them. Um, and so I kind of consider that a way to make um, mining more sustainable because we're not gonna stop mining. We're not gonna stop people from mining gold because it's so profitable. And if we just go to the recycled gold, then we're kind of missing an opportunity. We might actually be inadvertently you know, contributing to the more illegal and illicit and, you know, mining that is done that could be using mercury and toxic chemicals that do end up affecting us because they get into the air, they get into the stream, um, they get into the fish, we eat the fish, you know, all of that. So, and it even, you know, can travel in the air as we've seen you know, with the pandemic that what happens in another country does, does get to us here, even if we're not immediately aware of it. Um, so that was kind of a roundabout answer. But yes, I do. I do work with those materials. Um, I still work with the recycled gold for the signature collection. Um, and, you know, that is kind of to minimize the new gold that we're taking, but also um, also for the signet, for the love collections, which is my bridal collection, um, and my one-of-a-kind colored stone pieces, basically all my colored stone pieces, um, those are done with Fairmine gold. Um, and I do work a little bit with uh, sterling silver as well. Um, don't have access to the Fairmine silver as well because it's just not as... Um, I think that we haven't figured out a way to create really like a market for it in the U.S. Not that there's a huge, not that there's a lot of knowledge in the consumer about Fairmine versus recycled and what, you know, what the difference between those two even is or what the pros and cons are. But I like to be a, an opportunity for, to explain that to people when there's a chance. Um, and I'm pretty choosy. I would just say I'm choosy about who I work with 
um, for my bridal line, I use, um, you know, vintage and antique diamonds. Um, and, you know, the idea is if I, if I do a custom, a customized piece and somebody wants a modern round brilliant, I can still find it. I will at first try to find it in the antique or vintage. Um, if I can't, then I, you know, will have to meet the client where they are um, and give the client what they want. Um, but generally, I like to know where things are from. It's not just the, um, the mining of the stones, but it's also the, the cutting and the polishing. So I want to know where that was done. I want to know, you know, the conditions for that. And I just tend to default to working with people who will be transparent and don't mind um, having those conversations. A lot of people who are kind of old school can get kind of frustrated with those conversations. Um, but, you know, most people, a lot of people who don't necessarily label themselves as ethical or, you know, sustainable, quote unquote, I hate those words, um, you know, gem dealers are, are still doing a great job and they have, they have been, but, um, you know, we're talking about working with materials that come from all over the world with like deeply different cultural, you know, things that are okay, like in certain places, like child labor is totally, I'm not saying that I support it, but, um, you know, in some places, child labor might be the best option for a child because there's no school for ever away. And, you know, I'm not saying I support that. I'm just saying it's complicated. Um, and that's why not everything is perfect because it's, it's just complex. So. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's something I've, I've heard that from a lot of people that it's just yeah. very complex. <laughs> so you mentioned when you kind of first really started leaning into the more responsible sourcing that there was a lot for you to learn. Would you say it was difficult to gain that knowledge? And also where did you, what resources did you turn to? How did you educate yourself? Well, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't. I mean, it was maybe difficult because there was a lot to learn. I'm still learning. There's still more to learn. I, I think the, the research and the world is always changing, right? So things are always changing. So there's still going to be new things to learn and new things to apply and, and new ways to get better. But the first thing I did was join Ethical Metalsmiths. Um, and I just reached out to other um to other designers that I knew and who were through that um, and started kind of um, connecting on those, connecting on those. Um, and, and people were great about sharing resources. Um, people are great about sharing resources through Ethical Metalsmiths, um, whether it's gem dealer or, um, you know, answering any dilemma that you're having. Um, so there was that, um, and what really is a really great resource was the um, Chicago Responsible Jewelry Conference. Before that, there was the Jewelry Industry Summit, which I am not 100% sure if that's still happening, but that was really great. I loved that that was incorporating different levels of stakeholder, stakeholders. Ethical Metalsmith is a lot of like independent small designers, not really a lot of big companies. The Jewelry Industry Summit was um, was started by um, 
think Cecilia Gardner's her name. She's the she was the president of the Jewelers Vigilance Committee. Um, and so there were a lot of people from Signet and, you know, some of the like major like traditional jewelry players that were learning and I learned a lot from kind of that standpoint. Um, I then the Chicago Responsible Jewelry Conference um, is an amazing resource. Uh, I highly recommend anyone who's listening to this who has a curiosity in this go. Hopefully it'll be happening this fall in person. Um, and it's just a great group of people. There's great, there's just so much knowledge that you'll learn in that one week and that maybe you never even wanted to learn because it's a lot, but um but it's really, really valuable information. And I would say, you know, I just say it's really about constantly committing yourself to learning this. It's not about having all the answers because no one has all the answers right now. Totally. Those are great recommendations. So you mentioned the Fairmind license, the ethical metalsmiths. Are there any other organizations beside what you've mentioned that you're actively involved with or that you support in the industry? Um, yeah, I would say not necessarily like in the industry, but there's, um, there's a great organization. I mean, one thing that people should definitely check out is the ethical gem suppliers. Um, if you research that, um, then you will find some great people. One of a a great project, um, through that is called Moyo Gems and it is involved with an organization called TAPT, which, which works local, you know, with miners um, and in mining communities. So I would say that's an organization that's sort of peripheral to the industry, but you will meet people from that um, in, you know, at the Chicago conference. Um, there's also an awesome organization called Pure Earth um, that is really cleaning up toxic pollution in the world's poorest communities. And they do a lot with lead and mercury. So they have a ton of projects all over the world, but not that are not necessarily related to jewelry. But one of the projects that they work on is with gold miners. um, And they have a program in the Peruvian Amazon where they're training miners to to mine without mercury um, and to do so responsibly. and to sort of like set things up for them. And they're training them to be able to continue that after they're not working with them anymore. Um, And they're also helping them reforest the communities and training them in the reforestation. So mining is a huge cause of deforestation, which is very bad for the planet. Um, But one way they can sort of counteract that, which of course doesn't completely undo the harm because of you know, beautiful tree that's been there forever is not the same as a sapling, a new sapling, but it is something. Um, so they are training them in the reforestation efforts. So I uh, donate a percentage of my um, sales to that organization because I think it's important to not only, you know, you know, vote with your dollars for the type of material that you want to support. Um, educate customers, educate the industry, and also, you know, put your money where your mouth is in terms of, you know, kind of take setting it up for the future and making things better 
in a bigger stance, not just by talking about it, but taking, taking action. With the fact that it's ever changing and you already mentioned so many great resources, but is there anything you do to really stay at the forefront and to kind of know what, what's coming next, what's happening right now? Yeah. Um, I would say it's a lot of talking to people, talking to just staying in touch. Um, Ethical Meadowsmiths is probably a consistent, there's a consistent listserv, a consistent community. Um, and there's periodically different, you know, there's been some online, the ethical gem show. Um, and so kind of showing up and staying abreast and talking to those people is one way. Um, there's the sourced, which is the ethical metalsmith blog. Um, and that is kind of a good that's a good resource for people who are just kind of looking for something to read and kind of consistently get involved in. But the ethical metalsmith community is a great way to kind of um, be grounded in that. Another thing that I didn't mention is um, if people want to get more involved in this and stay stay um, on top of things, uh, Christina T. Miller Consulting. Christina Miller was the founder of Ethical Metalsmiths, um, and she now has her own consulting firm. So she works with organizations and companies that want to basically get, you know, in, like make better, more sustainable, ethical jewelry, um, more responsible jewelry, because um, I don't like to use those words. But, um, but yeah, so she's doing... She has these, she has a consulting firm, so hire her if you need some, you know, support for your company. But um, she also does these living room sessions where it's kind of like pay what you can, or if you can't, you don't. Um, so I think it's Christina T. Miller Consulting.com and, and the living room sessions. I think it's about once a month. She has on a Friday afternoon, she'll have, or I guess it's noon on the East Coast, so morning on the West Coast. Um, a conversation where they're talking about a different topic so sometimes they'll talk about you know gold mining sometimes they'll talk about color gems sometimes they'll talk about diamonds um or ethics and how to make ethical decisions and different topics like that so that's a great way to sort of stay involved um i find that there's so many there's so many um things to sort of get involved in all the time there's also uh from a different standpoint, which is something that I haven't gotten as involved in, is the um, JVC, the Jewelers Vigilance Committee. That's more about like legal issues, making sure that you're doing things correctly in that aspect. Um, and there's also the um, RJC, Responsible Jewelry Council. Um, that is really more for larger companies. That doesn't really work so much for a smaller company, but I know that they have, that they're a resource for, um, for some larger companies. Um, I find it hard to stay on top of everything because it's just hard to, to like do all the things while you're trying to run a business. But, um, but there's definitely a lot of opportunities. I think those are all great places to start. Yeah, I agree. There's so much information. So I'm kind of in awe of you and others who are leading this effort and really keeping the conversation going because the amount of information feels like just a lot. 
it is a lot and it can get super overwhelming and you kind of have to pace yourself and and know that you just kind of got to do the best you can I think I used to have a lot more anxiety about doing things perfectly and freaking out when I wasn't but you know know that we're living in an imperfect world and all you can do is do your best to try to be be the best within that and try to make it better in the, in the ways that you are capable of definitely so I think you mentioned a few times you don't really like the terms what was it sustainable and ethical were those the two that you don't like yeah what I don't what I don't like about them is how I mean first of all sustainable is anytime you're making something no it's not really sustainable like I just kind of cringe when I see people being like sustainable jewelry and I'm like well not really sustainable because of it's still having an impact somehow and sometimes that impact could be partially positive right but it's I just don't like the word sustainable because I just feel like it's dishonest you're still making something new that's using energy that's using materials um even if you're yeah even if you're even if you're making things from like 100% repurposed materials, you're still using energy and, um, you know, there's got to be some, there's something new that goes into that, whether you're aware of it or not. Um, and I think if we really wanted to be, if we were perfectly sustainable, we would just be dead because just by, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're polluting the planet just by existing, right? So um, I, that's the reason I don't, like to use that word because it just feels like inappropriate for uh, making a new product um and ethical is just also too these words have just been so overused they kind of don't mean anything anymore and people are like but what does that mean um ethical i don't like that it kind of implies that like i'm ethical and you're not um because it can be kind of elitist in a way too because um someone might be making an ethical decision, but it's to the best of their ability, um, you know, within the, within their means and what they're, what they're capable of. And, you know, like minors need to feed their families. Um, and I don't like the perfectionism in it because, um, one company that I work with from the gem house, one thing that I love about them is because they work with, they work with minors all over the world on a, um, on a system of continuous improvement. So they have four different levels of fair trade. So they kind of work to help bring people up to level one, but they don't just say, oh, you're not perfectly ethical. We're not gonna work with you. They kind of work with them to try to, to, bring, them, to bring them up. So um, that is definitely a company that I'd recommend checking out. They're a great go-to for colored stones. Um, and what else? That's so smart. What you mentioned about the levels, because I think, and maybe one obstacle that keeps jewelry makers, designers from doing what you're doing, kind of taking the extra step is that fear that like, I can't do all this. There's a sense of like perfectionism, but if you look at it in this incremental way, it seems much more accessible. Exactly. Just do better. Just do better than you did yesterday. And that's great, you know, um, and know that these things take time. And also, yeah, definitely it's so important to have a community 
um, and people to ask. So I definitely recommend like checking out those resources. Um, and yeah, there's like, for example, for example, like Fairmind, they have Fairmind not like regular, then they have Fairmind Eco, which is they're not using in Fairmind normal, they might be using mercury, but using like only a tiny amount of it when they absolutely need to and disposing of it properly versus just like throwing it into the river. Um, I mean, not throwing the actual chemicals, but um, you know, they're, they're, they're containing it responsibly um, and making sure that it's put somewhere responsibly versus Fairmind Eco is they're not using it at all. Um, they can't have it at all to use that standard. So I think there's just different levels. You can't just say you're not perfect, we're not gonna help. There's also different levels like the craft codes, for example, which is something that PACT has been talking about, which is like a lower level that people might not be able to adhere to the Fairmind standard, but they might be able to get to adhere to this other level. So yeah, I think that everything, nothing is black and white in this world. Um, and we've gotten into really like binary thinking. Um, but in, I think in our current times when things are kind of reduced to a tweet, but um, that's not, life is more complex than that. Um, and I think if you're, if you're interested in this, it's important to be interested in the gray area. Um, and moving moving that that's what it is yeah and as a marketer I hate to say I kind of blame marketing for some of this but it's also because consumers are overwhelmed so they need these like easily digestible buzzwords to help them feel good about the decision they're making but like you're saying so much more complex than that totally absolutely and when I kind of discovered that about recycled gold I was like oh my god I've been I've been disingenuous unintentionally right um and so i don't like that it i don't like greenwashing which is another reason i don't like those terms um and so i say what is important to do is like talk about not instead of using those words just talk about the materials where they're from what you know about it what you don't know about it if you don't know about it um answer people's questions, be willing to bring up the topics, but people tend to be pretty trusting. And I think trust is the most important thing that you have in business. Like you need to have the trust of your customers. And I would never want to do anything to um, you know, compromise that trust. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Dana. This was so fun and I appreciate your time and knowledge and wisdom and for sharing with listeners. So many wise points. I loved learning from you today, Dana. Anything else you would like to share? What other new projects do you have on the horizon? I am doing a lot of trunk shows this year. I'm really excited to kind of get back out there and meet with customers again. Um, so if you're a retailer and you want to work with me, um, feel free to shoot me a note. Um, feel free to follow me on Instagram and see what I'm up to. Um, I'm going to be doing a new photo shoot this weekend for some new pieces. Um, check out the new bridal collection. It's really exciting. Thank you so much for having me. It was great to chat with you. What did you think? If you'd like to learn more about Dana Bronfman and her business, visit danabronfman.com. Her last name is B-R. 
D-A-N-A-F-R-O-N-F-M-A-N, or you can follow along on Instagram at Dana Bronfman. You can always email me Larissa, that's L-A-R-Y-S-S-A at joyjoya.com. If you love this podcast, please share it with a friend who'd appreciate it. And don't forget to subscribe as well as leave a review on iTunes. To purchase a signed copy of my book, Jewelry Marketing Joy, visit joyjoya.com book for all the information. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode. For more information about working with Joy Joya, visit joyjoya.com where you can sign up to download our free eBooks about various topics in jewelry marketing.